the animation podcast, May 7th, 2005. that way. I'd like to work with you if you don't mind. You will join me for death. Oh, goody. Now it's like this, little britches. And beyond. Hey, everybody. This is Clay. Welcome to show number two of the Animation Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for stopping by. And if you're coming back for more, I couldn't be happier to have you here. All right. If you're sitting at your computer, there's one thing I'd like you to do right now. If you haven't voted yet at Podcast Alley, please go there and cast a vote for the Animation Podcast. You can find the link on the right side of my homepage, www.animationpodcast.com. Thanks to your votes, the show has shot up in the charts and is hovering around number 30. Like I said in a recent post, being up there on the list is great exposure because it brings in more listeners who will hopefully get informed and excited about animation. So please go vote. Business aside, I need to mention some very sad news. Yesterday, animation legend Joe Grant passed away. I talked with him last week about being interviewed and he was very open to the idea. He was going to be my second guest. Even though that chance has passed, I'm going to try to put together a future show where we can learn a little something about this great artist. With that said, I'd like to dedicate this show to the memory of Joe Grant. After today's interview, I'll cover some more details of the show and let you know how you can take part. For now, Let's continue with part two of the interview with Andreas Deja. But then it was, it was scary, you know, because all of a sudden you were there, you know, in the old animation building that really had changed, you know, the old linoleum floors, original artwork on the walls and the hallways. It was exactly like when the old guys were working there. And wow. Frank and Ollie were still working there. They were working on the third floor in their book. So you could go and visit them. So it still had enormous magic to it, that building. It was intimidating, you know, it was really yeah. intimidating. So it was this, I've, I've read a little bit about the training program. Was this the situation where you would do work and show it to Eric and when it was good enough, it would kind of get passed on to a, a review type of thing? Yeah, that's exactly how it went. Uh, you were put in this training program and you had two tryouts if you needed to. If they were convinced after your first tryout that you were fine and they put you into some kind of a job as an, as an in-betweener mm-hmm. or something like that. And if they weren't sure, then maybe you had like another six weeks. I think it was six weeks for each tryout. Were there a lot of people? Um, no, there weren't very many. I, don't even, I think I was the only one at that time. They had one before me, mm-hmm. quite a few, but at the time I think I was the only one. What type of teacher was Eric? Was he really hands-on or did you just kind of knock would, on his door and show him your stuff and he would... Eric was as much hands-on as you wanted him to be. You know, he didn't want to force himself onto you, but if you needed to, uh, to see him and you needed his, his help, he was always there. It really was like having your grandfather tutoring you. Mm-hmm. He was just such a likable guy. I mean, he was just loved by, by everybody. And he liked young people very much. And he enjoyed his job helping people. He pretty much created his job, right? And moving into that capacity. Yeah, he stopped animation pretty much after Aristocats. I don't know if he did anything on Robin Hood. I doubt it. I think he was pretty much done on Aristocats and then started the training program after that. But thank God he, he did it. And uh, yeah, trained people like Glenn and, and Ron and John and Andy Gaskell, Randy Cartwright, lots of people. Ed yeah. Gombert, you know, were in that program. And they were finishing Fox and the Hound. And I was just working with Eric on a scene. 
you were just asked to do some animation, like a little situation that had some personality, you know, that wasn't just movement. Mm -hmm. And um, so I come up with this witch that uh, was going to take off on her broom, and the broom had an attitude and kind of kept giving her a hard time, and, and then eventually threw her off the, this broom. And Eric helped me with it, and uh, it passed the board afterwards, the review board process, and they accepted me. And then they asked me, I remember Joe Hale, who produced uh, The Black Cauldron, mm -hmm. he liked my draftsmanship in my portfolio, and he said, well, you draw pretty much in the Disney style as if you had worked here for, for a few years already. <laughs> and then, but we have this other guy, this young animator called Tim Burton, and we like his style as well. It's sort of outgoing and crazy, and maybe we can mix the two up. And so they put me with Tim Burton for a whole year. Wow. I worked with him for a year, just filling up storyboards and character concepts and things like that that we worked on. But, you know, I couldn't really take Tim's drawings and change them because it, it just lost it. You had yeah. to do it his way or not his way, you know. And so in the end, they decided just to uh, do it the Disney way, you know, the, the conventional house style. Mm -hmm. And then Tim left. And so he uh, still, obviously, he had his style back then, the same. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. uh, he was probably born with it, I would yeah. say, yeah. yeah. But it was kind of cool. He remember him taking um, children's book illustration classes because he thought that might be an outlet for him to do children's books. Mm -hmm. And he showed me the certain assignments, having fun with numbers, you know, and all these crazy characters. And they were brilliant even then. <laughs> they were fantastic. It was, it was good hanging out with him. He was, you know, sure still is a real cool guy. But I remember the, the moment or the, the day that, that he was going to leave because he wasn't very happy about something that had happened. He had done some ideas and some designs for the, these, these monster birds in the Black Cauldron called Gwythanes mm -hmm. that was supposed to find this oracular pig. And anyway, I, I had done some of these conventional dragons and things, and he had the idea of a flying hand. They would just fly through the air, and there would be an eyeball between two uh, knuckles and another eyeball between two other knuckles. And we thought, what a fantastic thing that was. You know, it was really surreal. So we all thought that was great. And then the directors saw it and said, well, it's interesting, but it's more like something you would see in Yellow Submarine, in the movie Yellow Submarine. And then we'd have to do the whole movie like that, and we aren't, and so we aren't going to do this. And then Tim said, okay, that's it. And that was his last day. Wow. He just walked out. Huh? He walked out, yeah. Jeez. He stayed with animation, with the studio for a little longer. He did Vincent, a stop motion film, mm -hmm. and Frank and Weenie. Right. So that was sort of his venue into live action. And then Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and he was off and running. Wow, not bad. The one thing I want to say about The Black Cauldron is, I mean, however it turned out, it really, uh, just by the sheer nature of animating a lot during those early years, that by the end of the movie, I thought, wait a minute, I, th I think I'm starting to learn how to, how to walk here. I wasn't too frightened of this blank sheet of paper anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and you had a little system down in terms of thumbnailing, you know. So I gained some experience on that, at least. Right. You know, so it was my venue really into... So you kind of transitioned from doing the development and story stuff and you just went into animation when they went into production and... That's right. It was it. basically, they threw you in the water and saw if you could swim. Mm -hmm is what it was, and did a lot of bad animation, horrible, horrible I was going to ask, how do you feel about, you know, your earlier... Well, it's horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I think everyone at least should feel that way about their old stuff, you know? If you don't, you got a then, problem. Then I think you're really in trouble. Yeah, you need to. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of sort of copying Frank and Ollie or Milt, what would they have done kind of things, yeah. copying a certain technique rather than thinking about the character and bringing yourself into it. That all came years later. For a lot of people, it's a great way to learn, just emulate until, you know, yeah. it's like copying drawings until you know how to draw. Yeah. No, copying is actually a good thing to a point, you know, and yeah. then it, it, it can be a trap. And for some artists, it has been a trap. 
is that, you know, obviously there, there comes a time where you have to say, okay, this is now about me and what I have to say. Yeah. But not that many artists do that, you know. It's, it's, it's easy to have a technique, you know, whether you're a musician or a dancer or an animator, you know, it's so easy to hide behind that technique. But once you, once you learn, I think, how to crawl into a character, and I think, not to jump ahead, but the, I think the one that I was able to crawl into the most was probably uh, Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Because it's just the idea of this was sort of a cartoony looking girl, but her problems were completely real. This her funky world that she created, you know. I mean, you know kids like that. Mm -hmm. It was very honest and genuine. And I mean, I wanted to do an, an honest job. So I, I just thought about the character a lot before I animated and yeah. really and really got into the character where you really felt that pain almost that she that she had, the loss of the parents. I mean, you need to feel all that. And uh, so that was a big learning experience for me. Do you feel like there was a point in your career where you kind of looked around and you're like, I, I get this now, or is it continually challenging? It's continually challenging, but there are moments or times where you think like, boy, I think I learned a lot on this one. I think I opened up a new drawer, basically. You know, we're always looking for new drawers to open. And one was Roger Rabbit. And, and that was the best thing that could have, I could have done at the time when Richard Williams asked me to come on and uh, go to London and help out. I wasn't quite sure at the beginning because I'd just gone to America and I didn't want to go back to Europe. And I don't know, I didn't think too highly of it. But then I did go and working with European artists and also drawing in this crazy 40s style, you know, and mm -hmm. doing, just doing crazy scenes where you could really apply animation principles in a broad way, in a broad sense just completely loosened me up because mm -hmm. it wasn't about the Milt Carl style anymore or what mm -hmm. Frank and Ollie would have done. That all was out. You know, right. It was about Tex Avery studying, Clampett, that sort of thing. And it was, we had a blast on that thing. I and mean, sometimes it was, it was a little difficult to plug in your animated character with a live action. Technically, it was a little challenging. But boy, in terms of animating, you could really go, go to town and do some broad stuff, yeah. which I think is good for any animator to go through before you narrow it down to some subtle acting. So it was just after that movie, I, I felt like I'm ready. I can, I can do stuff now. Mm -hmm. it, really, it really loosened up my stuff. Yeah. I was a little, um, not un unhappy, uh, but I wasn't completely thrilled with the outcome of the movie because uh, we had never seen it. We didn't have screenings of the whole film. You mm -hmm. know? They, were, they, were, they were also changing it around as they were shooting it, re-editing it and all this. There were a lot of changes on the way as we were uh, animating. I liked the individual sequences, you know, which we saw. Yeah. But once it was all cut together, I thought it was pretty complicated and, and a little hard to follow. But it was a fantastic experience. It was, it was, the, the crew was so energized because it was sort of groundbreaking to, to plug in characters into live action that way. And it was fresh. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic experience. And working with Dick Williams was, I mean, I just thought he was just, just great. Mm -hmm. you all is he, is he a big teacher? He's just so uh, passionate about animation, so crazed about it. I guess like I am, sort of, you know, but he gets you re-energized all over again, you know, mm -hmm. he just loves it. I remember when you did a scene, well, he would react either way. If, if he didn't like what you did, he would kind of put you down and um, wouldn't be very subtle about it. <laughs> but if you loved something, he would call in the cleaning lady. Really, he would call her in, look yeah. at this, look at this, have you ever seen anything like this? <laughs> I mean, he was, just, he was just mad about it, and it was just fun to work with somebody who was so yeah. much into it. Yeah, I had never even really heard him speak until he came to Disney and did a lunchtime lecture, and he's just so wild and doing his, you know, acting, and mm -hmm. it's just great to see someone that into what he's doing. Yeah, and I also love what what he had done. You know, the commercials that he did in the in the seventies were still 
are still a standard. You know, all these different styles that he had done in full animation. Mm -hmm. Because in those days, I mean, before that, you think for full animation, you can just do a character with an outline drawing and flat paint, and that's the look for full animation. And he just tore that theory to shreds. He like painterly style and renderings and abstract things, everything. And they're incredible. I love stuff that he did yeah and his feature too you know it's too bad it, it ended the way it did but um, my god there was some yeah, that's, that's amazing groundbreaking stuff, in stuff in it yeah, yeah. just beautiful I mean, it's funny too because you know, like with cg for me it was really hard for the first few months translating twos to always on ones mm -hmm. you know and you look at thief and the cobbler and <laughs> he's got it you know, 30 years ago he's got that worked out i know I, I had one little disagreement with dick um about twos and ones and because he likes everything on ones which of course on roger rabbit it had to be because of the live action so there was no question why it needed to be on ones but uh i said dick you're such a fan of milts and so am i milt Carl does a lot of his animation on twos all his close-ups you know on twos yeah but he's the only one who can, who can get away with it <laughs> you know because he's so good he's the only one he said, because life is on ones, so animation should be on ones too. Oh, that's and funny. I didn't quite agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it also gets a little swimmy looking. Yeah. And there were some scenes in Roger Rabbit that were swimming yeah, quite it, a bit. Yeah, it loses some of the tooth. You yeah, know, you get, get a beautiful punch out of twos, you yeah. know, that contrast when something travels a great distance and then cushions into something. You just don't get that on, if you have things on ones. Yeah. And then in the end, you know, you, you choose. I mean, the animator needs to choose what, what looks best in ones and what looks best on twos, which yeah. comes with, with experience. It, it used to drive me crazy when I was overanalyzing that issue. And then I would shoot a test and I would see exactly where it would go to twos and where it would go back to ones. It seemed odd to me, awkward, yeah. you know. It wouldn't be smooth yeah. going from ones to twos, and, but but then after a while, it's just becomes second nature, and you you know. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing about animation is just you keep doing it and you keep yeah. paying attention, yeah. and somehow your mind, I don't know, it picks it up, and, and you start seeing things that you didn't see before, and like the ones and twos thing where you're slowing in. Eventually, you don't have that that pop or that. Mm -hmm. jump. I don't know where it comes from, or, but your mind accommodates for the mistakes. That's right. That's right. But you, you, yeah, you should be able, at least in 2D animation, do, you should be, be able to use twos and ones. There are some animators who feel very gutsy only using twos that I've seen, and that doesn't work for me because if it strobes, uh, it isn't right. Right. Uh, it shouldn't strobe. That concludes part two of the interview with Andreas Deja. Your feedback is very important to the success of the animation podcast, so please let me know what you think of it and if there are any suggestions you have for the show. There are a few ways you can do that. If you go to the website at www.animationpodcast.com, you can comment on individual podcasts. You can also send me an email at animationpodcast at gmail.com, and there's a third way to participate that no one has taken advantage of, and that is to call the feedback hotline. This is a phone number that you can call to leave a message. If you do, don't be surprised to hear your voice on the Animation Podcast. The number is area code 206-666-ANM8. That spells animate. So it's 206-666-2668. Again, all this information can be found on my website. The response to the first show has been fantastic, and it tells me that there is definitely an audience out there interested in the same things I get excited about. Thanks to everyone for commenting and emailing and voting for the show at Podcast Alley. Again, if you haven't voted yet, please consider it. Now I'd like to play a clip from another show called The Daily Download. The host, Chris Rockwell, was kind enough to give my show a plug. You can find a link to Chris's show on my page, but be forewarned, it's not for everybody. Here's what Chris had to say. Speaking of podcasts, there is a new animation podcast that you can find at animation.com.
I'm hoping I'm getting this right. I'll put it in the show notes. It's animationpodcast.com, I believe. If you like animation, this is going to be a really cool podcast, I think. It's it's kind of an insider's view. Um, The podcast that's up right now is still their first podcast. It sounds incredible. Um, It's an interview with, and I'm going to f*** up his name, I know it. It's Andreas Deja, Deja, I think. I'm not awake enough to say that I'm right, and I don't have it in front of me. So, uh, anyway, check that out. I'm pretty positive it's animationpodcast.com. If you like the 2D animation, and you want to you want to hear some stuff about the masters, the guys that are actually working in it, working for Disney and such, it's really cool. Check it out. It's a good podcast. If you want to go to the daily download, there's a link on my page. It was the second podcast I ever heard, and I'm still a fan. About the music on the show, the theme song was created by DJ Sweet Tooth, a.k.a. Joe Mosier. Thanks, Joe. And the music you're hearing in the background was actually sent in by listener Frank Panucci. Thank you, Frank. Well, that's it for this show. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.